G'day everyone, welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me again. As always, we are talking leadership on this particular podcast, so I'd like to thank those that are following and supporting the podcast. And just to remind everyone, there is a lot more to come. We've got a podcast scheduled until the end of November this year, so I hope you can keep uh, listening to some extraordinarily interesting human beings that have given up their time to talk to me about their their thoughts on leadership and their leadership pathway. So. By way of introduction, my guest today is the CEO and co-founder of the Non-Profit Alliance. She is also uh, working in a board capacity as well as in directorship roles. So can I welcome to the podcast, Carmel Malloy. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks, Eric. How are you? Uh, excellent, excellent. Thank you for joining me. So this is about your leadership pathway and about your um, understanding of leadership issues Uh at, at the current point in time, and I've got a million questions running around in my head given your your background and what you've done. But let's start at the beginning, and let me ask you your leadership and its beginning. So where did it start for you, mate? Well, I guess, you know, when you ask that question, I, I have to think back, and, and it came to mind to me that I guess I, I fell into leadership at a very early age. Being the fourth of five kids, you kind of had to fight your your way to the top, you know. And I remember I was just busting to get to school because all my brothers and sisters had been there and the one just above me had been there three years. So it was like well overdue by the time I walked into kindergarten. And and I can vividly remember being that kid that kind of knew knew the lay of the land, knew how to play the system, knew the infrastructure and could help other kids and couldn't quite work out why others were shy and scared by the opportunity. So I, I think, you know, from a very early age, I probably had it without realising. And um, and I was, I was a person who loved school. So I ended up, you know, in the high school musicals in lead roles and prefects and sports captains and, you know, on the magazine committee and all those sorts of things. So it, it didn't worry me sometimes how well I achieved or otherwise in certain areas because I tended to play to my strengths, even at high school I loved certain subjects and didn't like others so I didn't really care um, how I performed sometimes in certain areas and I did in others so um, I, I learned at a very early age what what I was good at and what I wasn't I guess but um, I, that love of leadership in the school environment led me to actually studying teaching so I became a primary school teacher which I did for a decade and um, whilst I was there I um, I was brought in to do various other pieces of work around um, I, ha I had a real creative Bent. So I was working a lot in the computer IT education area where there was some great programs being released, but not a lot of support materials for teachers and things like that. So I discovered a whole world out there that um, teaching was depriving me of after a while. And I, I was finding the restriction of everything I had to do in teaching just quite stifling. So I, yeah, the, all the compliance and the detail and everything was like, no, I, I, there's a whole other world out there. I need to get out. So I started applying for every job that looked like it had something interesting in it. And everyone was valuing me as a, a teacher when they looked at my um, resume. And I'd get told that, you know, that when I followed up that, oh, you came across really well, but your teaching skills are not really what we're looking for. So I, in the end, I actually thought, well, I'm going to have to change direction here. So I, I studied, I thought it's going to have to be marketing or graphic design or something along those lines so I embarked on study and then I just quit my job with nothing to go to and I was employed about a week later and um, I was working very much in event space in those kind of areas and to cut a long story short I ended up in in agencies with um, a graphic design qualification which I 
I never actually became a graphic designer as such. I was more a marketer. I should have done that to begin with when I was tossing up. But um, I, I was in agencies where graphic design was a huge part of it. And I was loving the creativity and working with all sorts of clients. But of course, my my understanding of kids, everything I ended up in was um, was leading the account director role for um, the Disney attractions, for Disney Channel, for Nesquik, the Nestle product. Um, I ended up, the very first one I went into was with McDonald's. So I was looking after all their kids' happy meal, below the line promotions and things like that. So I gravitated to everything I knew about kids with that that kind of creative element. And um, I very quickly became very successful in agency land. So I was running some some very key accounts for many, many years. And I, you know, I, I found it easy to excel when I found the right spot for me, uh, as long as I was working to my strengths and there was a passion around what I was working with. So I ended up um, after agency days, um, well, while still at agencies, I started to, um, I started to question the efforts, the hours, the everything that we were putting in to put, you know, thousands of millions of dollars on the bottom line of these big corporate organizations. And I started to lose purpose in what I was doing after a while. And um, as a result of that, I ended up moving and went into charities. So I started my first charity role with Kids Helpline and I was employed there as the director of marketing and fundraising. And I was given the brief while I was there to, we want women between the ages of, you know, 24 and 45. We want those women who are actually in the scholarship, their sponsorship roles within big corporates. And, um, and we want to try and get in there because all the kids know about us, but the adults don't. So one of the first things I did when I was at Kids Helpline is we worked on the business chicks program, launching it and ended up across three states running about 20 events a year and ran that for five years before it was sold to a private enterprise and, and um, Emma Isaacs, who still runs business chicks to this day. But um, I got a taste of all sorts of things, charity and loved it. And I ended up um, in a number of roles over many years working with um, Starlight Children's Foundation, Camp Quality, Australia for UNHCR. The final CEO role I, I was in was CEO of World Animal Protection. And then I left um, the charity sector to go into leadership myself, into um, a, a business that was based on leadership, which is the Nonprofit Alliance. So that's where I am today, working with leaders um, across the sector, all different areas, very diverse areas of the um, for-purpose sector. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting mix of experiences that you've had. You said you lost your purpose before you found it again in the in that not-for-profit social enterprise type space, if I'm not getting my terminology correct. Was it a light bulb moment when you said, I've got to do something different? Was it a gradual build-up or did something shock you into going, yeah, I think I'm done here, I need to do and go somewhere else? Because by the way you've described it, and I love hearing these stories, is you, you had the nous to pivot. I think once people get that level of motivation, it's easy to make the jump. But if you're hesitant, no amount of other preparation is going to get you there because you you want to have that drive to do something else and to get to that point. I've, I've met a lot of people, particularly in, in my age bracket now. So I'm in, in my mid-40s, heading towards 50 years old. And uh, I think the challenges you find at this time of a career are very different to what they were in my 20s and 30s. So I'd like to ask you, was it a light bulb moment for you when you knew you had to change or was it a gradual buildup? I guess the, the answer to that is I've, I've always had a strong sense of when I'm in the departure lounge. So I, I know myself things aren't right and I feel a disconnection to what I'm doing and I lose my purpose. 
steps and that I won't stay there forever when I get in that space because it just doesn't align with with what's in my world and how I want to operate so I know then I've got to get out and and sometimes it's it's not as obvious to you as but it's in the background you kind of know it you know you you've done your time and um I guess when I jumped from when I jumped from teaching into agencies I I well and truly had 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 enough I was well and truly trying to get out and and I knew that and, and it was a matter of time when I moved from agencies into back to charities I at that point was doing very well and and loving it in some ways but it had lost meaning as I mentioned and funnily enough it was a light bulb moment there because some I was working with someone at the time who had identified himself that he was in the departure lounge sometime earlier from agencies and he was a bit older than me and we got on famously and um and I saw this job that I thought uh, I reckon that's exactly what he should go for, you know. And I, I walked in on the Monday morning, and I, I'd cut it out, and I, I actually, I took it in, and I put it on his desk, and I said, you know what you've been talking to me about? This is, this has got your name on it. And later in the day, he came back and he put it on my desk, and he said, no, it hasn't. It's got yours. And um, I ended up applying for the job, and I got it, and that was the kids helpline role that I took on, which was my first not-for-profit charity organization. So it was a bit of a light bulb that someone actually saw it, but I guess I I was already in the space mentally that I knew he was right. It's um it's always fascinating to me. People have these different mechanisms that trigger what you need to do next, and I think in that in that leadership space, it's essential to have those things because it's also to me is a personal view a marker that the person I'm talking to is a self-reflective leader practitioner. They know in themselves when there's the end of a road or something's coming that they need to activate on. And from my travels, the the most effective leaders I've met are very cognizant of that in how they operate. I think all leaders have got that capacity, but to be able to pick it out and then to be able to act on it, I think is is important. So let's, if, if we can, uh, Carmel, if we can move to defining leadership now you've just shared that you you worked in the teaching space as as one of those um many human beings that that help you know educate the next generation you've seen leadership from that perspective you saw it in that recruitment space perspective you've seen it in the the not-for-profit charity space what's your firstly I'll, i'll put this in two parts so what's your definition of leadership and maybe before you answer that do you believe that has morphed over time or has it been a consistent definition for you? I would say it's most definitely morphed over time. I mean, my my career has taken such, you know, different paths, even though there's been certain areas where you could say there was alignment between what I did at every stage. They were completely different paths. And, you know, I I, I think my definition of leadership has most definitely changed over time. And as you asked that question, and I knew you were going to ask me that today, I really had to think about it. And I thought, well, what is it? I, I've got, I can talk about it all day. You know, it's what I do. Um, and I talk to other leaders about it and aspiring leaders about it. But it, you know, what is my definition of leadership? And I, I came down to, sorry, did you want to? Yeah, but before you answer, there's no right and wrong here. I, I hope I didn't put too much stress no. on you because I've had this chat a few times of people like, oh, Eric, is there a right or wrong answer? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking myself shit I don't know exactly what my definition is because it it keeps getting shifted a little bit the more that I talk to people so this is definitely the Carmel Malloy view of what the definition of leadership is and there's nothing wrong or right about it I just I just want to get it out there so people know what it is 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wasn't feeling threatened that I had to come up with the right answer. It was more that it had to be right for me because it's, yeah, it's my definition of leadership and, and I live in this space now and, and you know, I profess to be someone who cares deeply about leadership. I don't ever profess to be the academic who knows it all, but I certainly have lived experience and I now have the lived experience of others that I'm I'm in contact with and have the privilege of on a regular basis. So it was important to me in that regard. And I kept going back to it going, it's not quite right. But anyway, where it came to, as I said, true leadership is an alignment of personal values and lived purpose to make the world a better place, no matter how big or small that place is. It doesn't matter. It can be a small community. It can be a big world. But harnessing your own strengths so that others want to be on the journey with you. That's where I landed. I, I, I like it. I, um, you haven't put a copyright on it, so I might steal I that. Have. And make that. <laughs> I'm it. It's for karma in a little circle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, it, it's, that's, a, that's a really... It's a really interesting way to define what leadership is. My, my, so for the sake of sharing here, I guess mine is about being of service to others. That leadership is about the other. It's about the group. It's about people. Uh, because if you're not leading something, you're, you're you're not leading people. And I think leadership is around people. Now, I've had the argument put to me. Well, what about self leadership? I don't. I don't think self leadership is a form of leadership to me. I think you've got to be leading other human beings. And in most scenarios, with almost all of the leaders I've spoken to, you're working in a team or amongst many teams or in a very small team, but you're you're helping to shape the the thinking and the work product of other human beings. And so for me, it's for me, it's about um that being of service to others. And your your definition adds some dimensions that I hadn't given a lot of thought to, which is why I, I do uh, why I host these conversations, sorry, is is to try and expand my understanding of what it is. And and like yourself I've lived different lives around leadership and I'm, I'm still a student of it um, in that practical sense and I'm a student of it in the, the academic sense and sometimes those two worlds don't interlink nicely but I think that's why it keeps me interested because any amount of theory put to practice sometimes doesn't work and you've got to be agile and be able to adapt yourself to the world of work. And I've, I've seen that quite a bit. So let, let me ask you, without naming the individual or individuals, have you taken lessons from key leaders that you've met in your travels? Is there someone that really stunned you into thinking differently around leadership or is it a, has it been a, an amalgam of different leaders that you've worked with and for? Um, I, I guess there, there are some standouts, but the quality that stands out for me is when I come across someone who thinks differently to me and who expands my horizons about how I think. So sometimes you can find someone who thinks differently, but it doesn't connect. It doesn't align with your your values or your beliefs. Um, but those, those leaders that have really made the difference for me have fallen into that category. They've really expanded my horizons. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the fact that our own leadership capability is very much bound and restricted by the extent of our own experience. So we can only we can only be the leader that we have experience to be. So you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, when I know this is kind of touching on a, a question around, you know, nurture and nature in leadership, you know, which one is it or is it a, com a combination of both? But I'm a big believer in that, that unless you try and lead outside the four walls of the leadership role you're in, you're not going to be an effective leader. You have to have a radar and relationships outside of that immediate 
boundaries and restrictions of your own experience because you're never going to be the leader you can be until you're taking in other ways of thinking and um and allowing yourself to to benefit from those that wonderful experience and wisdom that collective peer involvement can give you I have learned a lot more from my peer network than I thought I ever would around the leadership topic, whether that was a direct conversation or whether that was through osmosis, if I can, if that's the right word, that you're, you're seeing how they're acting, you're seeing how they manage themselves in a leader role. And at times by directly asking, why did you make a decision the way that you did? Because leadership's around making some decisions, sometimes very simple operational ones, and sometimes are really hard decisions potentially that come with leadership. And you helped me sort of uh, segue nicely into the next area, Carmel, around the lonely road of leadership. So is it a lonely pathway or is it as lonely as you make it? I I think it's both of those things. Um, It it can be very lonely at times, Um, no matter how well networked you are. There are going to be times where things happen within your organisation that it's not appropriate to share up to your board or down to your team or the buck is constantly stopping with you. And I think, you know, COVID was a beautiful example of that for some of our leaders within the Nonprofit Alliance. You know, we, we had a situation where, of course, they were engaging with their boards and their leadership teams and their team underneath them, but there were so many decisions that needed to be made and and on the fly and in unknown territory that, that leaders were, you know, that was such an example of, where leadership could get very lonely, but it got incredibly collaborative at the same time. There was so much chat going on, but some boards were stepping in, some some were stepping up, some were stepping out and going, we'll leave it to you and the leadership team. So all of our leaders were finding um, they, they all of a sudden had to make a lot of decisions. There was a lot resting on their shoulders. It was not decisions they've ever made before. And we found that everyone immediately were calling on each other. We still meet once a month and it was like there were weekly meetings, hub huddles happening in between for the first three months of COVID because everybody needed to do the pulse check. We needed to check that what we were doing was okay or what are you doing? What are you doing? That that aligns with what I'm doing. So everybody was feeling very uncertain, very lonely. But I think that happens in other circumstances as well. I don't think it's just a crisis that put leaders into that space. I think generally speaking, it's it's a space where there are times you are doing it alone. You feel like everything's landing in your lap and there are things you can't give away or delegate. You have to make the decisions, but that, that kind of comes with the territory and it breaks some leaders. There are leaders who kind of get to um, a, a certain point being in a new CEO role and they kind of go, I, I actually don't think I'm cut out for this. I don't want to do this. And we all know the, the expression now, we've heard about the great resignation and now it's the quiet quitting. People are actually saying, do I really want to be this person that's working their butt off, you know, 24 hours a day, eight days a week? No, I don't. What can I do instead? What can I survive on in terms of the money I need to earn? Or what, what's going to bring me better joy and balance in my life? You know, so everyone's asking those kind of questions. But in in answer to your the bit about loneliness, I think it's an incredibly lonely role, particularly in our sector where our leaders are so stretched. They're under-resourced, generally speaking. They're, they're working their butts off. They've got teams of people who do the same. And I'm not saying that that's how it should be, but that's how it is um, in the not-for-profit sector. And that has its added pressures. 
and then you've got stakeholders and donors and major donors and your boards and everybody else involved and the public side of things that comes into play at times to criticize how you do business it's um it it can be very very lonely yeah, I've, I've never given too much credence to the the throw stones on a leader's process or what they're doing. I mean, if you're not living it and you're not dealing with those pressures, it's um easy to be critical. I think it's a lot harder to, to give constructive feedback to another human being to to help them out. And I think it just it depends on where you're coming from. So I haven't had too much of a discussion around the topic, but you, you raise some questions in my mind is... All leaders are different. We all bring different things to the table. We talked about. Should we stop? Because and and um, something came to mind a minute ago when you were talking about sure service and that leaders are there to serve others and be there for others, and um and then when you're talking about competitive um aspects and um I just today was doing a, a team strengths profile with a, a an organisation and um it was a team of senior managers so not the leadership team but the next level down and um the overarching strongest realised strength amongst that team was humility and then the strongest in terms of their weaknesses was competitive. So it's interesting, but we were talking about the fact that, you know, having humility and service and legacy and mission and all these wonderful aspects that attract people to the not-for-profit sector, having those qualities is, is wonderful, but other aspects of your job demand other things from you. So if you're coming in as a new manager, a new leader, right, and you're overly humble and suddenly you've got people under you, and you're being asked to take on a new area of the business that's due for, for growth and the, the leadership are looking down, expecting great things from you. How are they going to know if you're so humble, you're not actually telling them the story or or being the champion for the people that work under you? You know, so where does where does that kind of humility work really well for you? Or where does it go to a tipping point where you can overuse it? To your own detriment and that service piece the same thing in leadership if if a leader is all about service to others and not realizing at times the others are looking to you to be something else as well you know that's that's where i i challenge that thinking um that that it can work sometimes to your detriment in terms of your own advancement in your career or your own ability to champion your team within an organization you know always to think you know it you mightn't like to sing your own praises, but are you singing the praises of what you and your team are doing so brilliantly to convince the management above you or convince the stakeholders you work with about yeah. what you're doing? I need to get clearer on this. When I say being of service to others doesn't mean to the de to the detriment of everything else. And I, I believe that at my core, that's my belief around leadership, but there are other things that come into play. Let's, if we can segue, definitely measuring success. Now, um, the reason I put this in, in the discussion on the podcast is not necessarily around, did you hit your KPIs? Because that's an important part of a role, but it's not the only part of measuring success. And it's been put to me on more than one occasion and me measuring success can be about, um, have I helped my team to grow professionally? Have I helped my team to achieve certain professional goals? So from your experience, Carmel, what does measuring success look like for you? Well, I'm a, I'm a big goal fiend in every sense of the word, but my big biggest bugbear with goals is people don't really understand the sorts of goals they should be setting themselves. So 
a goal for a leader shouldn't be around business as usual. That's your to-do list. That's the stuff we just expect you're going to do on a day-to-day basis or the people that work with you and under you are going to be doing. But what is it that's critically important? What are those priorities? What are, what are the real purpose-driven pieces of your leadership and your organisation that really need you to set goals around them? And that prioritization to me is, is the most important, the cr- most critically important thing. And so many leaders struggle with setting goals for that reason. They set goals around just the next project they're trying to tick off. And that's, that's just part of your job. Um, the sorts of things that you said, like, um, you know, how are you developing and empowering your people? You know, are you starting to have converse, coaching conversations with your leadership team? You know, th- those sort of aspects that are you thinking about culture on a daily basis? Are you modelling the behaviours and how? And how are you measuring that you're doing that? You know, this is the thing. And, and some of those more intangible and more important things are harder to measure. So they're therefore harder to set goals on. But, you know, using the big rock terminology of the Simon Sinek um, video that we've all seen over the years. Not sorry, sorry, it wasn't Simon. It was, um, I've gone blank now, Cohen. Anyway, I'll come back to it. But that big rock theory around the fact that, um, you know, those big rocks are what you should be spending more of your time on. But none of us actually put it in our diary. We don't put that deep thinking in there. We put all the other bits and pieces and the meetings and the schedule rather than scheduling our priorities. So I think that that for me is before you think about how you measure success, what is it you're measuring is the most important thing. Yeah, that's great. I, I like the way you flipped that and that that I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, I think sometimes you can get into the into the weeds, whereas that bigger picture thinking that you're talking about. Yeah, completely agree. Now, this is the part of the conversation I have with my guests and it's around leader capability. So my mindset around this from lived experience um, a couple of hundred discussions with leaders in Australia and, and globally and through my own studies is leader capabilities is where my thinking is around leadership and the importance of those capabilities to help develop fit for future leadership. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. I, I believe, and this is a belief at the moment, I haven't tested it, I haven't done research on it, so I'm, I'm coming from our uh, still forming my ideas around this is for me, there's a core set of capabilities that all leaders need to have in some measure to be effective. And it's not to say that there aren't other capabilities out there that are important. But for me, I have a set that I'm thinking around and not the purpose of this podcast to flesh what those are. But I want to ask you from your experiences, your own professional development, what you've seen in that world of of leadership, what do you believe are key leader capabilities? I think first and foremost is a self-awareness. So an awareness around your own purpose, your own values, your own beliefs. And that's where you start from. And that's the message that you're going to be bringing to the table. That's the you that's going to turn up to every meeting you go to or whoever you're meeting. So I think that that self-awareness of those really critically important pieces. And when I say purpose, not just organizational purpose, if I said to you know, the CEO of the Smith family or the CEO of Victor Chang, they'd be able to tell me exactly what the organisational purpose was. But 
if I ask them about their personal purpose? What would they give me as the answer? And often, you know, there's a lot of studies that show around this, even with the Harvard Business Review, um, with their students over many, many years in the leadership programs, they were showing that when they asked those questions, they were getting these really generic responses around, oh, empowering my people and, you know, leading the way and, you know, all of that stuff. It's like, no, we expect that of any leader. What's your personal brand? So I think the more people actually have an awareness around that, that's a critical capability for a leader. I think that um, that authenticity around that as well is critically important because people have to believe in you. If you're coming from a point of trying to act like you're a certain leader or act like you believe in certain things, if you don't have that authenticity around your purpose and values and beliefs, um, it's going to be very quickly found out and realised by the people who are looking up to you. So I think that's incredibly important. I think... Um, Obviously, there's that whole piece around communication. So how you how you actually speak to people and motivate them and inspire them because you want people to come on the journey with you. So in some way, shape or form, you have to be a communicator and that, that can take many, many, many different ways of doing it, whether it's a charismatic narrator through to someone who actually writes very well but lives and breathes it in a much quieter fashion around the office and in other ways. Um, I think another quality for me, another capability is strategy through to implementation. And when I say that, we see a lot of leaders who call themselves very strategic and like to say stay in the high umbrella space. But if you don't have a very deep understanding of how strategy translates to implementation, you're going to struggle to understand how that's translating in your team. So I think that's a critically important one. You don't have to be doing it, but you've got to know it. You've got to know and understand it. Adaptability, flexibility in the current climate, because you're dealing with so many unknowns. Anyone who's not moving with that and adapting with that will be left behind. So I think those those qualities are, are really shining at the moment in the current climate. Um, I guess with the authenticity piece, of course, comes vulnerability, admitting mistakes is important as well. And knowing that that vision piece, when I was talking about, you know, the, the purpose and values and so on, I think the visionary part of it is important too, because if you can see, you can see the top of the mountain and you can get people excited about the top of the mountain, that that vision goes beyond just a purpose of trying to do good or make the world a better place, but you've got a vision around you that takes people somewhere and there's an end goal, there's an outcome that you're trying to achieve. I think that that can really serve to inspire people and that vision coming from a leader is a very, very strong force. Um, and, and I guess knowing knowing your own strengths and weaknesses, we all have things we're good at and things we're not. So playing once again to the authenticity, the more you understand those, the more effective you're going to be as a leader. It's an interesting list and there's a few there that we, we share as a common uh, some common thinking. So uh, you said strategy through to implementation. I'm a big advocate for strategic thinking uh, as a key capability that not not strategic planning, strategic thinking, two very different skill sets, and you're not going to get um, anything out of your planning, whatever that looks like, if the strategic thinking element is not done well. And uh, like you, I, I believe that there are a lot of people that say they're very good, uh, very capable strategic thinkers. But uh, my question is always, uh, what's the baseline look like in 
some industries in some organizations and what's that what's that capacity in any industry sector and the other one where i think we share some crossover is you said about vision um i i look at foresight i think foresight is is both foresight and strategic thinking are necessary precursors to good strategic planning and good uh, good decision making without those things it's very difficult to get to the others and for me, that's just for me. Um, and but I'm not saying that at the exclusion of other things. So you've mentioned a very interesting and critical set of other capabilities. One one that I'm seeing more that I would add to my own thinking here, and I think you've mentioned this, and it's been alluded to by many of my podcast guests, is around dealing with complexity and understanding that we live in a complex world. Things are interconnected. That idea of being able to pivot, being able to have a tolerance for ambiguity is becoming more and more critical in leaders as time goes on. And I used to think that maybe COVID demonstrated we didn't have that. I think it wasn't that. I think it's we all had a threshold for how much tolerance of change we could deal with. And once that was um, completely saturated, what happens after that, how you deal with knowing that you're at your limit is 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 a mark of just how experienced you are in, in dealing with that for yourself, let alone for a team. And I, I think it's um, disingenuous to potentially attack leaders that didn't do that well because I, I think it pushed all of us in very, you know, COVID pushed people in very different ways. So it's more about um, in your toolkit to deal with some of these things, what did your toolkit look like to deal with change and complexity? And if that wasn't up to snuff, it's not something that you can't fix. It's more recognizing that there's a deficiency in trying to improve your own practice. That's not a bad thing. That's hopefully what people are doing all the time. I fundamentally believe, and I think you would agree with this, is that a drive to be a lifelong learner can deal with a lot of those things. If, if you can look at opportunities in your environment as a way to learn, then there's nothing that you can't overcome. I mean, there are, we all are human beings, we all have our own capacities and there's some things that we're just never going to be the best at. But you said it at the very start of this conversation that you played to your strengths. I think that's an awesome way to look at it. If you're a good leader and you have some strengths, play to those strengths and understand potentially doing that is also potentially um, understanding where your weaknesses are and then how you deal with that is part of the creativity of being a good leader do you buy skill sets in that you don't have do you try and develop or get a better understanding of a topic area that you're not familiar with so it, it's um I, I found your list uh interesting the authenticity element has come up quite a bit yeah fascinating and again i'm sure we could do a part two to the podcast and we come back and, and yeah. um beef that out because I, I think there's a lot to um be discussed there so yeah no i appreciate you you sharing that um did you want to add something i was just going to add to two things um in terms of the strengths if you're playing to your strengths not only are you going to be far more productive and effective you're going to bring so much joy to your own life as well so and that joy is infectious so it's a win-win in every direction. You're going to get so much more done. You're going to leap out of bed to try and do it every day. If you're not playing to your strengths, it, it, the opposite starts to happen. Everything will distract you. You're not going to be anywhere near as effective. Your passion for it won't be there and you won't be um, moving your people in the same direction. But the other thing I was going to say around when we're talking about strategic thinking and foresight you can have a leader with all the strategic thinking and foresight in the world, but they can only move at the speed of trust in a change environment. So until that trust is built in the psychological safety, and it's one of our favourite expressions with our members, that you can only move at the speed of trust. And if you don't have that, 
it doesn't matter how much foresight and strategic thinking you have, the organization is not going to be moving with you. Uh, to reiterate, it's um, the ones that I brought up are for me critical, but if you can't communicate what those things are. So with foresight, I guess it's what are the possible futures in an organization or whether it's for profit or not for profit, what are those futures that are realizable? So there's things that you, you can achieve and there's some things that you can never achieve and being able to understand how to identify the difference between the two. But yeah, being able to, uh, one, bring your people along, uh, sell the business case and build that trust to get there is critically important. So I'm not for one second saying that you can't. Oh, no, I didn't think you were either. But yeah, it's yeah. important to bring that in because... You know, a leader can have all those boxes ticked and not succeed without measuring success that if you haven't got your radar on that piece, you can yeah. be completely disconnected to how your people are coming on the journey of change with you. 100% agree. And I, I think it, the flip side of that is also there too. As much as you can bring people along and your people are trusting you, if you don't have those other things, you don't have a vision, you don't have a plan, then that's not going to go anywhere either. It's so nice I, and comfy and lovely, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I think that as well. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's the the individuals in my life, at least that I can say that understand how to navigate those waters are the ones that are, are uber successful. And and then, yeah, you're right. The um, Just so that I don't forget to mention this, I could not agree more about that idea about playing to your strengths because I think when you're doing something that you have a passion for and people clock onto that, they they get they get enthused in a way that that is um, very di different if you're if you're not. So I think people's uh, BS radar is so attuned that if they think you're there filling a seat and you're not there, they're not going to be there either. What what's there's nothing in it for them. But if you can if you can express your passion and purpose to others, I think it brings people for the ride because then it's a what's now where's Carmel going to take us now? What what's the next big challenge? And um, given that we spend a good chunk of our time at work, you really want people with that thinking. Otherwise, it can make for very long days and weeks and months. And I'm not surprised more and more people are looking around going, do I want a better quality of life? with something that I'm passionate about or do I just want to be in it uh, to make the dollars? And um, yeah, I look again, rabbit hole stuff, but definitely something we can keep talking yeah. about. But so you, you, um, you foreshadowed my, uh, the next topic area, our next topic area, sorry, not mine, our next topic area around the nature versus nurture. So from your perspective, are, are leaders born or are they made or some mix of the two? Um, most definitely a mix of the two. I think there are natural born leaders, no doubt. There are natural born leaders, but often in my experience, I see that natural born leadership can take them so far. Um, you know, the gift of the gab and everything else, but there'll be a point in time where that, that won't be enough. They're going to have to develop other skills around their leadership as the team around them grows or the circumstances change. So what we do see is we, um, like in the Leadership Hub program that we run at Nonprofit Alliance, it's advisory boards of leaders that come together every month. So they get to know each other's business and they talk about the issues and opportunities that they're facing as leaders. And one of the things we observe on a regular basis is people's, they're seeing other ways of making decisions and they're becoming better leaders because of it. So it's expanding their horizons. So as I spoke about at the beginning where you're restricted by the boundaries of your own experience, 
you don't know what you don't know so if you're then put in a room with other leaders and you're actually talking about the problems you're facing and going through sort of structured models frameworks on how we process those issues and opportunities people actually start to really discover other ways of thinking and that expands them as a leader and makes them a better leader it, it it makes you know those boundaries that they were stuck in much much broader and gets them asking questions about how they're approaching a situation or how they might better think about it or treat that that particular problem or opportunity that they're facing so i think that um that nature nurture that definitely leaders can be taught but i still think also there are people who are not meant to be in leadership roles there's a it's not their strength they don't want to be there it's not their comfort zone and and that's fine we need both kind of people we can't be all be leaders in this world so i think the answer is there's a combination of both but no leader who's born a leader can't be a better leader by what they can learn and absorb from from nature around them I have to say it's typical of the responses that I do get that um, I've yet to meet a guest who is vehemently on one end or the other on that because we've all met people that seem to be charismatically or, or, or gifted those skills that good leaders have. And you just you just can feel it's that this is not scientific by any stretch, but that X factor that some people don't have. And then I have met and I'm sure you've met some people that have um, developed as leaders over time and are magnificent at what they do, but they will tell you themselves, I didn't start out this way or I was classically introverted and, and I, I got better over time and wanted to be out amongst uh, people. That That's come up a few times, I guess, where you draw your energy. I'm a classic inter introvert in that I draw my energy from myself. I don't need human beings around me. But don't get me wrong. I love my family. I love my kids. I'm introvert too. My <laughs> brood, I'm not the yeah. introvert. So there you go. <laughs> I, I love people, but I don't need people to get oh. energized to do what I do. And I've met my complete opposites and I have friends that way. And, and my, my partner is that way that she needs people to be energized and to do things and that's what makes her tick and it, it it's a constant source of fascination for me i'm like i don't need that to be that way but i'm not her and she's not me so that that's all good but what what uh, interests me in that conversation is that both those types of people can learn from each other so when i see the energy that she gets from other people i've had to come to that space and realize yeah when you get people around you and you get people talking you get people energized and people are sharing ideas it just makes you a better human being one to be able to listen to other points of view but if you can get some kernels of, of truth or better practice for yourself it's a way to learn because like you said you don't know what you don't know and until you can share that you know stories from others um it makes makes for a more interesting um interesting leader pathway, at least from my perspective. So I'm only couching this in my own experience. So final question, um, sorry. It's also a very emotionally um, reassuring place to be when you've, when you've had your thinking tested and then you've got all these other theories there. So if you're lonely at the top leader and you go back to your board to talk about that issue and you've actually had 12 people around a table giving their views as well about what they do or what they have done, you go back in equipped with a whole wealth of information that's not just relying on you saying, I think, you know, and that's very empowering. And it gives you a lot of confidence and puts you on the front foot instead of the back foot in situations that can be very confronting for our leaders as well at times. 
Carmel, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. But before we go, two final things to put to you. One being looking back at your leadership pathway. If you could go back to a, a younger version of Carmel Malloy, what would you say to yourself about being a more effective leader? I think being effective, a more effective leader, I think I do what I practice now. I think I would surround myself with more leaders rather than I did I did a lot of stuff just winging it and you know jumping at the next opportunity and had enough confidence in my own abilities to do that and I think the the thing I probably didn't do enough of was really surrounding myself with with people who could who could grow me as a leader and I could grow I could learn from um you know and be supported by emotionally and professionally to be a better leader and I think that that would have helped me along the way. There's been times where I've been very lonely at the top. There's no doubt about that. And I and you often say I'm too busy to, you know, I'm too busy to get out and network and I'm too busy to do this. You're actually disadvantaging yourself. You'd make your life easier by going and doing that bit and surrounding yourself and being at those events or whatever they are um, to actually bring that thinking back to the table and be a better leader. So I think, you know, that that listening to others and surrounding yourself with like-minded people, I'd do more of that. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. So final element of the podcast here, Carmel, can you give my listeners a bit of an overview of what you do and how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more? Sure. Well, nonprofitalliance.com.au is who we are. A lot of people know us as NPA in the sector, and we've been working for many years in the leadership space, but we, we're we a catalyst to peer-to-peer um, development of leaders. So we bring leaders together to bring that collective wisdom and knowledge to the table so that they can share what's really going on in their issues and opportunities within their businesses. And our core program is leadership hubs so our leaders meet on a monthly basis um and we have currently about 50 people in that program both face to face and online on a monthly basis and then we do a keynote series where we bring in expert speakers and we do coaching programs and other workshops around purpose which is one of our sweet spots and strengths profiling as well so and goal setting is the other one so it's everything in that leadership space but based on peers bringing peers together under facilitation of people who've been there done that and walked in your shoes so that's who we are yeah brilliant thank you for sharing so i'll make sure i put your uh, your link to your linkedin profile and to the npa uh, website as well so people can get there and, and catch up with you and have a chat if they want to be involved so carmel thank you for your time Thanks, Eric. It's been great having a chat. As you said, I think we could have many side conversations on that one. And um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a yeah, really great conversation and um, good luck with all your collecting of this knowledge and making sense of it. For those listening, this has been the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for following us and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.